0: Wow. Thank you so much for this privilege. I really, I really mean, this has been a privilege for me to be with you these last two days. Um, I'm glad I don't have to follow Pastor Lloyd. Uh, so I'm glad you got me out of the way first, uh, so then you can have Pastor Lloyd for the next couple days. Uh, but thank you so much. This has truly been a gift uh, to me just to be here, to share this time with you. And uh, thank you, Pastor Dennis, for inviting us to be here. Uh, I was in class this morning teaching some of my students, and, and this all connects to what I'm going to be saying and talking about tonight. And in this class, I'm, I've got uh, juniors, so, uh, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and we're, it's a class about uh, connecting deeply to what God's up to in this world, the mission of God, calling, calling young ministers, people who are studying for ministry, to be really passionate about the things that God is passionate about. And so in this class, over the last eight weeks, we've been using a lot of language, and I've been saying a lot of words, and, and, and so today's question for them, after we've gone through about you know, half the semester, is I said, so what? Why does this matter? And they, like good sophomores, juniors, and seniors in college, rattled off all of the terminology that I had just given them for the last eight weeks. And they said all the right words. They said all the right words. They knew the language. And I said, you still haven't given me the so what. Because it's really possible to know all the right stuff, to know all the right language, to understand here what yet has to be translated here. And I said, the mission of God is not about semantics. It's not about getting the right words. It's not about saying the right things. And it's not about knowing the right stuff. It's about having the burden of God land so deeply in your soul that you can't get away from it. It's about a burden that wakes you up at night and puts you to bed at night. Like, it's the the thing that stirs you first thing in the morning. It's, It's when you realize that my life, having set ablaze by the grace of Jesus, now must move out into the world where folks are hurting and broken and have been left out and left alone. I can't get away from that. I can't content myself with my own comforts, but then my heart is stirred. There's this long See, Here's what I think about this, this, this language we've been using this week is ignite. And I like that because if you are a follower of Jesus, guess what? You got the Holy spirit, right? Now, whether the Holy spirit has all of you, that may be a different story, but you got the Holy spirit and it's like this ember in our souls, right? It's there. We'd have to go get it. It's there. What we need to ask God to do tonight is just breathe on that ember, because you know when you when when the when the Spirit of God when the when the breath of God is breathed, that thing really begins to burn. So my heart prayer is tonight is that it would start to burn within us. Let us pray, Father. Uh, tonight is your night. I don't want this to be about knowing the right things to say knowing the right stuff, knowing the right words. I don't want to just talk about mission of God and people's lives being I want something to happen deep within our souls that we can't get away from. I want something to be lit within us that when we walk out of here we will be compelled by that grace that we talked about yesterday morning to those neighbors that we talked about last night to do the very thing that you're calling us to talk about tonight. So Lord, help us stir that within us. And Father, we're going to be reminded that in the preaching of the word, it's always a miracle because someone sitting here in in the, the space where that word is preached is going to be encountered, not just by your word, but by your spirit, because they are your people. And when that happens, anything can happen. And so I pray for that anything. Not my thing, not the thing that I want, but your thing. So I'm just going to get up back and get out of the way and let you have your way with these folks. And may the good news gospel story be heard even amid my deficiencies so that at the end of this, we can give all glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it was the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to talk to you about a, a lady today that I've done a bit of a disservice to over the the years, I've not treated her fairly. I've not, in, I've not intended that to be the case. I've sort of done it unwittingly, and every time that I've attempted to right the wrongs that I've committed against her. I feel like I've, I've been so tightly holding to some assumptions I had about her that I can't even get out of my own. Have you ever had one of those moments where you have heard a story about a person told so many times about that person that you can't not think about that person the way you've been told to think about that person? Even in your best, even in your best efforts. Like you're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like in the background, it's still there and you keep thinking about that person that way. So it was just that way with her, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. Now I might have at one point said she was resilient, even if a little bit helpless, desperate, a little shrouded in shame. She was looking for a kind of white knight, a rescuer of sorts, which is precisely what I imagined that she would have found in this story. But then I met her again, and when I met her again, this is a few months ago, I feel like I met her again for the first time. What I saw this time was a little less shame and a little more suspicion. A little less helplessness and a little more grit. She reminded me of someone who'd had a few miles of pavement up under her feet. She knew life and probably a little all too well. Now her story is found in John chapter 4. We call her the woman at the well as though a single episode in someone's life can be determinative of their entire story. Which I'm not sure that I would agree with but i've been so accustomed to hearing the story told a kind of way i only ever imagined her as of, sort of like sheepishly head down shuffling to jesus all helpless you know a little nervous encountering jesus that's i just couldn't get that image out of out of my mind but then i'm reading this story and it hit me I don't think she looks like that at all. I think she looks like the women I grew up around. Y'all know some women like this. They're the women with the cigarette hanging out the corner of their mouth, right? With the mixture of the cheap perm and the too much aqua net. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The kind of lady that on their best days says, what are you looking at? And on the worst says, don't you try me right? Like, I know those ladies. I grew up around those ladies. She had been bruised and battered by life, and she was not about to play the role of fool in this story. So when she, all alone, stumbles Upon Jesus at the well, who, according to John's gospel, was precisely in a place he should not have been, which was in Samaria, which is an off-limits land to those good Jews that Jesus was supposed to be. And you don't do what he was about to do and have a story with this woman. I mean, come on, Jeff. We we, we didn't come to discover her story. This was not her first rodeo. Life had tested her. She's not going to stride into some vulnerable situation without first surveying the landscape and testing the waters a little bit. She is suspicious as... She's not, she's not sheepishly shuffling. She walks up and she's like... Now, she don't know his intentions, but I'm telling you, she, all of the burden re- lay on his shoulders. Because here's a woman that was not going to put on this damsel in distress kind of look. She was put out by the fact that Jesus was in her way. Listen, this is a woman who came out to the well by herself, which she didn't do, because all sorts of kind of things happened at the Well, And you didn't come out in the middle of the day. So she was coming out at that time, in that moment, by herself to avoid folk like him that were now standing in the way of where she needed to get to. And she was not about to be sold on a too-good-to-be-true promise. See, she's suspicious. So when he's asking for, listen to this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the, and the Samaritan woman, you know, her hands on her hip. You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink because Jews don't associate with Samaritans? When he's asking for a drink, I think the suspicion gets the better of her. What's your agenda? What are you getting at? Why are you here and why me? And what is it that you really want? Up until a few months ago, my wife and I lived in the heart of the downtown area of, of Chicago. Uh, We lived there for three years as urban missionaries for the Chicago central district. And many ways, my heart is still, still there in that place. Uh, It was the first time, just a funny note, it was the first time my wife and I had moved for ministry and not had a church to receive us, right? Like, when you move as a pastor, there's always a church to catch you. And they're, at first, like for like the first five minutes, they're really excited you're there, (laughs) right? So like they dote on you and they love on you and and, like they're super glad. You know what happens when you arrive in a city of 2.7 million people without a church? No one cares. (laughs) So we got there, and I said, well, I got to find the wells. I got to go to the well, right? I got to go to the well and find some folks, because if I don't find the well, we're not going to have anybody to connect to. Now, when I go to the wells, because of my story, and I told you my story a little bit on Sunday morning, I come from a broken background, atheism, addiction. I know that when you go in the wells of society, guys like me, we have to go a little bit incognito, Right? I don't show up in the wells of our culture going, hey, the pastor's here. Because that doesn't, where I go, the places I go amongst the folks that I go with, that immediately draws a good bit of suspicion. But you got to go, you know where the wells are, right? The wells are the places in our lives where we live, work, and play, where people show up. It's... It's where they show up to meet and connect and carry out their affairs. It's, the wells are where lives intersect. The wells are the places in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, where, as Jesus' people, we are sent to, where we are called to go. That's where the wells are. Now, can I say something at the risk of being a little sacrilegious? I don't mean to be. There's a verse in here that we got to deal with. Verse 4 of this chapter 4 says these words. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay, here's where it's about to get troubling for some of you. That ain't true. Not in a geographic sense it ain't true. In fact, there was an entire road that skirted all around Samaria that most Jews went to because they didn't want to go into Samaria. They didn't want to go into that place because that place was not where good folk go to. Those are not wells. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those are not wells you drink from. Those are wells you stay away from. And so when it says he had to go through Samaria, he didn't have to go because of geography. Here's where I think it gets beautiful. He had to go because the heart of God is the kind of heart that always sends us to the wells in the places that we don't think we should go. You have to go when you begin to realize the heart of God sends us. You have to go when you realize the heart of God is stirred and heartbroken and longing for those who are at the wells that no one will go to. You have to go. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's nature. That's Hebrews 11 or excuse me, Hebrew with one. He had to go because that's where the Father would go. Which means, as Jesus followers, as apprentices to the Master, as the ones who say we follow so close to Jesus that we get His dust on us, that's diakonos, Greek, which means follower, disciple. If He has to go, Then I'm pretty sure we have. We have to go. So I knew I had to go to the well. I had to find the well. But what I anticipated was not eager receptivity at the well, but well reasoned suspicion. Because the burden of proof lay on my shoulders. See, regardless of my intention, the good news to which you and I are committed to has a whole storyline that has preceded it, which makes for strange encounters at the wells of life. And that storyline has made a lot of folks very leery about our presence, about our care, about our agenda, and about our intentions. There's a lot of folks out there that are not quite ready to think your good news is as good as you say it is. Now that's not me. I like our good news. I think it's really good news. We've got, you all know that, right? We got really good news. That's the name of my book that's coming out this, this month. The news is good. It's really, really good. The news is good, and when I say the news is good, the news is good not just because the news is about a God who wants to get us somewhere else when we die, but it's really good news because when Jesus shows up, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's on earth as it is in heaven. The good news is that God's in-breaking kingdom, the place where God gets God's way, the place of restoration, reconciliation, redemption is happening in the here and now. The good news is that the left-outs are let in, the broken are bound up that that those who are held captive are set free the good news is that that can happen right here in this moment and that is good news we got that's our news that's some really i love that news i was my news i got i came because of that news and then i ended up in a church filled with people who are committed to that good news which makes us good newsers that's all you and i are right Committed to the good news, we move out into the world wherever we live, work, and play to the wells of this world as good newsers. The problem is, we've not always made that news such so good. There's a lot of folks who are a little suspicious of that news because we've, they've seen how what we've done with that news. See, that good news that we, we say is really good is not so good when we wrap it in our political banners. When we get so committed to whether we are on the right side or the left side, and then we argue so abundantly about it, we forget that, oops, we have our own kingdom with our own Lord. And though the parties will change and their platforms will change and people will fight, we have a Lord who is stable and consistent and a kingdom that will endure. So we don't have to wrap it in blue and red. Because we've got one who's already wrapped it in purple the king of all kings. So we've got to be careful. It's it's not good news when we have wittingly or unwittingly made it seem like it's good news for some, but just not others. If we unintentionally, consistently bracket out people from that good news, people are going to wonder if it's really good news for anyone. And we, we do that. We've got our categories and distinctions. One, one of my sophomores, who's was given the devotional class today. Ha, huh, sophomores. He said in the middle of his in the middle of his devotional, he goes, We don't make distinctions, we make disciples. And I went, Yes! Preach it. Yeah, we don't make distinctions, we just make disciples. We believe that no matter how far a person is gone or lost or broken or has, has been carried away by whatever has carried them away, that God is, at, this is... This is We have this grace that is so pursuant. Chasing after them. God is, and that's good news. Not that you're left out. We've sometimes ignored in our concern for our own stuff. We've ignored the blatant issues that many of our neighbors face. Those with a lack of resources, unequal opportunities, treatment as second class citizens. We've told them there's good news, and then we've left the conditions of their lives unscathed. You know how hard it is to tell someone good news when their belly's empty, when they can't keep warm? When they've been shut out over and over and over again. My friend David. He's a homeless man in Clarksville, Tennessee. He'd been kicked out of every social service organization because of his anger and rage. And he came to our church. And there was no good news for David unless there was first friendship. There was no good news for David unless we were able to meet The fact that he didn't have anywhere to stay and we need to figure that out. There was no good news for David unless we figured out how to deal with his issues of the meds he needed. There was no good news until we took seriously the conditions of his life. Then there are those who have been wounded by church. Folks who came in at one point vulnerable only to have that vulnerability trampled upon and now it has left them wondering, like, is this even an okay place? And so we come shouting good news, and all they hear is fear and neglect and even worse. And you put that on top of lives that many of which have been shattered by the constant onslaught of unfair and unjust circumstances and traumas and tragedies. It leaves wondering people wondering, is this all fairy tale stuff about God that you're talking about? The good news isn't always received eagerly. We show up at the well and people are asking themselves, what what are you doing here? What do you want? Why me? What's your agenda? Now, I love it because when we look at the well in this story and we see the suspicion in the life of this woman, we find something beautifully compelling in the way of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus carries himself in the midst of that suspicion in a way that demonstrates for me what I believe a good newser is all about. See, there's a way of life for the good newser. There's a way of being in this world as a good newser where the, where the fire that God has lit in our lives begins to begin to, 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 to spread to the lives of others. See, good, newer, good newsers know down deep with such conviction that the news is unquestionably good, but it takes time to cultivate the soil of our connections with others, sow the seeds of love and trust, water with grace and compassion, fertilize with empathy and peace before it will ever bloom. It takes time. So what's the way of Jesus at the wells? The first thing, and I know this seems obvious, but it's not, he shows up. He had to go. He shows up. He shows up at the well. The disciples walked away. He's there. See, folks, I think we're so used to coming where the living water is that we feel forget there's a lot of stagnant wells out there. Now, we love coming here and doing this thing. I get it. But I'm telling you, we've got to figure out strategically where are the wells in my life and where can we go? And that should, that, should like, that should cause you to have to like, I have to figure out where I can go where folks who don't know Jesus are. My wife and I, we moved to Kankakee and it's like a weird place not like Kankakee, but like being in a place where the university is, it's weird. Like we realized after being there a few months, it's possible for us to drive from our house to the university, back to our house, to church, back to our house, to our favorite Mexican restaurant, back to our house, to the school and back and, and never encounter anyone who's not a Jesus follower. So we're like, and I'm panicking. Like, I don't do well with that. I mean, I like y'all Christians, but I get twitchy if I have to spend too much time with y'all. And I'm like, we got to figure this out. So my wife and I, were, let's join the Y. She looks at me, I said, let's join the Y. She said, we get free use of the Perry Center at the university. And I said, yes, but there's a bunch of people that are already Jesus followers there. So we're going go to go the Y. And we're going to start showing up there you got to figure out where's your well. you got to show up. The second thing, and I think this is huge. When Jesus goes to the well, you got to notice there's reciprocity from the beginning. Now, understand, this is, this is something that makes us uncomfortable as Christians. When Jesus shows up, his first request of her is that you would give me something to drink. Right? Right? He believed she had something to give. See, I think this is one of the things that sabotages our good news. We come striding in with all of our stuff and our answers and everything we have to say, and we forget that that person that we're about to say to already has stuff that might be a blessing to me. What if in showing up to them, I valued them enough to let them be a blessing to me as well? where I honored and respected the good that was in them, even if they don't know what the source of that good is yet. And that we can live in that reciprocal relationship and build that connections and build trust. It's a beautiful thing when you give it time for that. And you don't just go in gunning with your answer to their problems. And I love this. So he shows up and he, he's, he's reciprocal in this relationship. The third thing is, He's aware of the moments that he can hint at the good news without overdoing it. See, if you're doing relationships well with folks, there's going to be these moments that will bubble to the surface where you can just like insert just a little bit of good news. And Jesus, Jesus isn't about rushing this. He's giving this time. He's letting it marinate. Hey, would you, would you give me a drink? Who are you to ask me for a drink? You don't even have a bucket to draw from. Jesus he's like, that, that's my moment. It's like, if you'd have known, who would ask you? You'd ask him for some living water. Just a little, little dabble of hope, right? Just a little bit of something that gets them curious. Then you don't, have, you don't have to, like, jump on it. You can just let it be. Start to sow the seeds. That there's good news for them. That there's living water. That this, this life she had spent coming to the... And this is, this is not only real, but it's also Figurative. That this life she had spent coming to the same well over and over and over, only to return with an empty bucket every single time. Jesus is saying to her, you don't have to live that life because you know the bucket that you carry is not just the bucket you carry. It's the bucket that's in your life. And you know you keep coming back to the same wells over and over time, and they've left you empty, but I'm telling you, I can give you something good. I can give you something good that's going to fill you up, It's a living water. And then I love what he does next. He says, Go get your husband. Now, what ensues is a really, really complex conversation. And I don't think we should miss this. This is where we snag ourselves with our assumptions. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, Well, you've had five, and the one you're with is not your husband. Now, here's where our assumptions... See, we run to judgment. We mess this story up. She's not what you think she is. I know what it sounds like. She has five husbands. She must be one of them ladies. Understand, we're not talking 21st century women here. These are women who had legally no real right over their lives. More than likely, she had been suffering under the weight of a system that was designed to subjugate her. She had probably been married young and he died. Passed to the brother who didn't want her, divorced her. Went to another one that might have abused her that then she might have issued the divorce decree for, only to find herself in another relationship where he dies. She had no right over herself. And so what I love about this is that when Jesus engages her, he does so not in a way of condemnation but in a way of curiosity. Tell me your story. See that we have to if we're going to show up and be in this reciprocal relationship and start to sow the seeds of hope when we can, we've also got to be curious enough to truly understand a person's story. Let me get to know you. What has wounded you? What has broken your heart? What has left you hurting in life go get that because you know what that i can bring even that into the scope of my redemption and bring hope and healing to your life then i love it i love what happens next this is so good because i've been in these situations she tries to get all theological on him like the situation gets uncomfortable and she's like well wait a minute you jews you worship up in jerusalem We worship here on this mountain, and she's trying to get like all, and Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not going to play this theological game. Now, he doesn't get his feelings hurt. See, too often in the church, someone starts dabbling around theology, we feel like we need to like defend God. Nah, he's like, listen, time's coming when it's not going to be about that mountain or that mountain, because the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and truth, He's like, listen, like, I'm not going to play this theological game with you. And I'm not going to let you distract from the true meaning of things. And then I love this. This is so important. Ultimately, he's clear about his message. When the moment comes, he's clear. Some say the Messiah is coming. That's me. He says, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm that person. Clear. Clear. It's clear that he is the one that they've all been longing for, that they've all been waiting for. And when she hears this, oh my goodness, there's this great point in the story where when she hears this, she sits down her bucket and she runs back to the village. This is how fires start. When he hears that, that he's the Messiah, he's the one on which all of human history swings. He's the hope on which everything is built. She runs back to the village that had alienated. That she'd run back to the village that had mistreated her. And she makes known, hey, listen, I think I found someone that y'all need to come out and meet. This, this is where good news gets going good. This is where I love watching brand new Christians get s- become saved. Because they can't, oh my goodness, they can't contain themselves. They go right back to their friends. Dude, I found this Jesus. Friends think they're crazy. But my goodness, it's, they can't help themselves. You know, I had one time, there was a guy in my congregation, He just gotten saved, he's a good friend of mine. He's standing there worshiping, he's all excitable. He's excitable anyways, but he's really excitable about Jesus. And he got a tap on the shoulder by this person who had obviously... Stayed far away from grace for way too long. Says, "Don't worry, that'll go away eventually." <laughs> way to throw water right on that fire. No, it shouldn't go away. It should stir in us, and we should be running back to the village, running back to with an opportunity to make known of the good that we've we've received. Good newsing requires a posture and a presence that disarms suspicion through patience, building trust, extending empathy and demonstrating love. So we arrived in Chicago, 2.7 million, on a Monday. Our boxes were still there. We moved from a house to a little 800-square-foot condo. When I say boxes everywhere, there was like, little pathways. And so I looked to my wife that night, and I said, well, I won't be here in the morning. She's like, you, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the well. I said, I'm going to a coffee shop. There was a coffee shop two blocks down from us. So I'm going to go to a coffee shop. I'm going to go find some folk. She said, okay. So I went there, got up before anybody else got up, was at the coffee shop by 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning, sat there all morning. And it was the craziest thing. I sat there at this little booth in a coffee shop, and by the time I left, I had probably twenty people around me, and I was talking to them about scripture. And the bo- no, that none of that happened. This is Chicago. Come on. You know what happened? Nothing happened. I sat there with my book and my Bible and my journal, and people went in and they went out and they went in and they went out, and I might have gotten a head bob, you know. And for us guys, that's like a major thing. Like, we're like yes, got a head bob. So what I do the next day? I went back to the coffee shop and nothing. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and every day for weeks. Every day. And here's the crazy thing about even a place like Chicago where there's 2.7 million people we are habitual people. There are regulars even in a coffee shop in the city of Chicago. So I'm sitting there, and there's this young lady over the corner, and she's always showing up about the same time as I am. She's got these two little kids, and uh, it was always fun to watch. She always, always looked a little bit exhausted. You know how young mothers always look a little bit exhausted. So I'm sitting there reading, and we had, we had waved at each other a couple times, acknowledged each other, you know, recognized each other, seen like, oh, hey, we both do this whole, like, we're both becoming locals. And so she, she's got this very kind of like a blunt attitude. So she just finally, she gets up, she walks over to me and she says, who are you and what are you doing? And uh, she does it in an Australian accident because she's Australian, but I will not do that to you because my Australian is horrible. (laughs) Who are you and what are you doing? So again, I don't lead out with I'm a pastor, right? So I said, I'm a professor. She says, well, what do you teach? Hmm. I said, uh, the convergence of religion and culture, which is true, but I also teach preaching. So I, I said that, and she's like, oh, that's fascinating. She, and then she said real quick, I am not a religious person. I was like, okay, good to meet you, not a religious person. But that was like the intro. Like, now we're in. So, so her, her name was Alyssa, and, and so Alyssa, became, Alyssa and I became friends. We, we, were, we were commoners at the same coffee shop. And Alyssa had the most wonderfully gregarious personality. She knew everybody in the coffee shop. We called her Mayor of Armitage, which is like the main strip road that we were on because she just knew everybody. So now I would know everybody because if she knew everybody, then you were going to know everybody because she was going to introduce you to everybody. So we started like creating this sense of community there. And Alyssa and I became good friends and she became friends with Angie and I became friends with her husband, Ryan. And they're both amazing human beings. No interest in God but amazing human beings. they both very smart. They both are incredibly generous. Alyssa was at one point named amongst the who's who of young adults in all of Australia because of the work she did with people with disabilities. Like, this is... This is and she would talk... And, oh, and then she... When, when her kids were born, she picked her friends that were religious because she wanted her kids to have a well-rounded experience of life. Like, they were just these kind of friends of ours and we had these amazing conversations and we would, we would get together and then COVID hit and even with COVID there was like this really intentionality because then we had to think okay they just took away our well where are we going to now so we had to figure out so my wife and I we had some freedoms that others didn't so we would like pick up donuts in one of the shops and like drop them off outside of their house so they could eat, eat the kids could eat donuts and then we would start doing these coffee corner dates like there was three or four of us from the coffee shop we'd like okay either bring your coffee or find somewhere where you can still actually get coffee in the city of Chicago, and we're going to come stand on the corner, you know, six feet apart from each other and, and talk. Did this whole thing, right? And this was over a year period of time. Friendship, reminders. I'm not religious. They've eventually all figured out. I was a pastor and professor of ministry students, and we had great conversations. It was beautiful, and she called me one day, and she said, hey, my... She said, my son just passed. There's this beautiful church in our neighborhood, um, St. Michael's, and it's absolutely gorgeous. She said, we just passed St. Michael's, and, she, and my son said, like, what do they do in there? And she said, I looked at him and said, um, you're going to have to ask Uncle Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and so one night, it was a year after knowing each other, a year. They called us and said, hey, would you come to our house for, for an evening get-together? I said, of course. She said, we're going to do charcuterie boards. Don't worry if you don't know what that means. Just think meat and cheese plate. That's what we called them when I was growing up. <laughs> with a few vegetables sprinkled around. My grandma's been cool for like decades. <laughs> so we got there and we sat down for charcuterie. And we're talking and, and finally they asked us, we never asked you, how did y'all meet? So Angie and I, because our story is kind of interesting began to tell the story, but we can't tell our story without getting to the point of faith because if faith hadn't entered in our lives, we wouldn't have a story. So I get to that part of, about faith and I said, well, this is when I became a Jesus follower. And then I moved on. And I moved on because I didn't want to overdo it. I, I wanted to respect them. I wasn't trying to force anything on them. And she, because of our friendship. See, when you, when you love people well, they're not threatened by what you have to say. In fact, they will bless you with an opportunity to share what matters to you. She looks at me and she goes, stop. And I was like, oh boy, I did it. I done did it. I went too far. She says, tell me that. And I said, wait, what? She said, how did a drunk atheist become? <laughs> Sorry. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes. How did a drunk atheist become a Jesus follower? For the next 30 minutes, she let us tell her the gospel. And afterwards, she sat back and she said to me, she said, I don't know that I'm ready for that, but, but it's compelling. It's compelling. And I thought to myself, my goodness, none of that would have happened if we hadn't gone to the well, if we hadn't shown up. If we hadn't let them bless us, cause they did in big ways, Angie had two surgeries and they would come and dote on us, bring their son and come and dote on us. They blessed us, good people. And there was moments where there were little seeds dropped and there was a lot of curiosity shared and a lot of theological questions answered. But ultimately what bubbled to the surface was really good news. And we're still, we're still good friends. They're in Australia. We're in Kankakee. We still Instagram back and forth. And I'm thankful that, that when we go to the well, because we have to, God intersects our lives with those that need to know his love so deeply. So here's what I want to ask tonight, Lauren, would you mind coming up? Last night I asked you who your neighbor is. Who's that person you're thinking? Can I ask you a different question tonight? What's your well? Where do you need to go? Where do you need to show up? Where where, where do you need to find yourself showing up regularly? And you might already be going there, but you just didn't realize you were a missionary being sent there. Y'all hear me right there, right? Y'all might be already going to the well, you just didn't realize you were a missionary being sent there to the well. I said this to one of my... Y'all know the travel ball, travel baseball leagues and travel ball. And so I had one of the, one of my family, one of the families in my church, they came up to me and said, pastor, I, I want to apologize. Summer, we're going to be gone a lot because of travel ball. And I said to them, it's okay. Your are is as a missionary. I commission you. said, so I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm commission you. Because chances are those people that you do travel ball with, none of them go to church None of them know Jesus. So you're the Jesus they're going to see. So I'm commissioning you to care less about the winds and more about their souls. And I said, then we can get together outside of Sundays and do coffee and disciple and all that stuff. But I send you and commission you because that's your well. So where are you already going that you didn't even realize you were a missionary to? For my mom, sewing group. For my mom, it's, she sings in sweet Adeline's choir. She's a missionary. Where, where, where's your well? And where can you start showing up intentionally to make the good news of Jesus Christ known? Would you stand with me? Father, as I stand here, I wonder, it could be that there's someone who walked in here today suspicious, curious, but suspicious, and they didn't even realize that Jesus had met them at their well. And if that is the case, Lord, I'm just praying for that person that might be here today who needs to say, I need that Jesus who meets me at my well and transforms my life. And if that's your story, if that is your story, I want to invite you just to find Pastor Dennis after this and say, Hey, Pastor Dennis, I think I'm, I think I'm the one who's meeting Jesus at the well right now. What needs to take place now? Let him talk you through them. Let him pray with you through that and just yield to the one who's at your well. And for those of us that are in here right now who who are thinking, where's my well? I pray that, Lord, you would stir in them. We've heard about your grace. We've heard about their neighbors. Now we're hearing about the wells. Send them to their wells as good newsers. As good, good newsers putting on full display the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus. Send your people as missionaries. I commission them tonight as missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may the song we sing be the prayer of our hearts. In Jesus' name.